everyone. Welcome to Chi Alpha After Hours. We're your hosts, Cassie, Nathan, and Christian, here to take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on the university campus. A few episodes ago, we narrowed in on the concept of God's wrath and how we can reconcile that with God's goodness. Today, we're going to take a similar approach to wrestle with questions surrounding the topic of hell and what it means for us as Christians. So starting off, let's make sure we're all on the same page. I think our view of what hell is like can often come more from cultural portrayals than from the Bible. Um, Like we have all these images of what the Greek underworld is like, and sometimes people compare that with hell. Or the popular work Dante's Inferno, um, which depicts hell as various circles of torture, um, with the torture increasing depending on how bad the person was in life. So how do these portrayals hold up when we look at the Bible and what the Bible says is true about hell? Yeah, so... I think it's um, interesting, Cassie, you brought up the idea of Dante's Inferno, and no question that's been a, a you know, a, a topic and a, and a depiction that's been very influential, and um, I think a lot of times it's been popularized, and um, I think actually if you read Dante's Inferno, you get a much even more complex view of what Dante is trying to say. Um, all the people that are in hell... Um, are 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 living according to choices that they've made in their past. So, so for instance, like you have people who have murdered um, people in life, and they for their eternity, you know, they're they're living, um, they're swimming in a, a river of blood. Or people who have been adulterers, you know, they've cheated on their wives or their husbands. They're um, in these whirlwinds of passion, eternally bound to the person that they've um, committed adultery with. So. Dante, I mean, while on the first glimpse it looks like it's like about torture, but actually what Dante's saying is these people have gotten what they wanted in life, like what they sowed in life, what they chose in life, God has given them to, you know, the person wallowing in blood, you know, he was a murderer and he wanted this blood, you know, or, or a person who um, committed adultery is now eternally bound with that person. And so I think, and I actually think, um, so the idea of this torture idea of God being somebody that wants to torture people, I mean, that's, that's not really what Dante's going for. And that it definitely isn't what we see in the Bible. But what Dante is observing in, in, that, in that story and what we see in the Bible is that hell is ultimately a reality of God giving people their choice, giving people what they've, they've wanted to do. Um, and ultimately, it's about existence without God. Taking Dante's Inferno and relating it back into like a biblical theme that we see throughout the Bible is that God gives people over to the choices that they make. Um, the nation of Israel repeatedly, as they walk away from him, bad things tend to happen. His, he's like, well, this is what you wanted. You you acted this way, you conducted yourself this way, you expressed a desire for something. And now I've given that to you. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying what this was not what we imagined it to be ultimately. And they realized that being separate from God, being outside of what God intended ends up not being as positive as they thought it would be. So the first example that comes to mind is when um, in First Samuel, the nation of Israel conveys to uh, God that they want a king like all the other nations. 
And so they want to move from a nation of theocracy, which is God-led, to a monarchy, which is king-led. Um, and God kind of pushes back against this over and over. He's like, you don't want to do this. Um, he has a conversation with Samuel where Samuel is really upset about it. And God kind of gently, I think, rebukes Samuel and says, they're actually not rejecting you, Samuel, my prophet. They're rejecting me. And so what ends up happening is Samuel, uh, God tells Samuel, okay, give him a king and go find Saul, King Saul, or soon to be King Saul. And he anoints him. And then long story short, King, king Saul does not turn out to be a very good king. Yeah. And not great things happen. Um, and he goes kind of nuts. Um, but then they do have a good king right after that with King David. But then, like, the whole uh, history of Israel in uh, this monarchy setting ends up being not a positive one. They largely only have bad kings. They don't have good kings. The nation splits because of the monarchy. Um, and it's just this long, long story of how the people of the nation of Israel wanted to do something that God had not intended. And God relents and is like, okay, I'll let you do it. And it ends up not being as good as they thought it would be. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not, a, and again, this is one example, but it's a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible. And so when we look at hell and when we look at Dante's Inferno, Dante's Inferno conveys a, a narrative of people having done something and then living in the consequence of it. God having allowed them on earth to do something, he's now saying, well, this is, this is your life now. Mm -hmm. This is the life you had on earth, and now I give you this life eternally. Mm -hmm. um, and Dante is trying to convey that sentiment in his depiction of hell. It's not un and it's just not an unbiblical sentiment. But I think a thing that harmed Dante's Inferno and people's understanding of Dante's Inferno is really, Dante's Inferno is really good. And actually, I think is a, a wonderful piece of literature and uh, really is trying to be reverent towards an idea of God. But then people take a depiction of that depiction of those depictions and it just snowballs and it goes very far away from the original intent of the author. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but the millstone of all those negative sentiments is hung on Dante's Inferno. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what I'm hearing both of you say is that it really does highlight how much the choices we make in this life matter. Like our God mm -hmm. gives us free will. And when we choose things that include separation from God, that uh, things that God says are not good, ultimately hell is him giving people over to those choices. He's saying, okay, you've chosen separation from God um, in life. You've chosen separation from me. And so now here's what, here's, you know, the end result of that. Here's the consequence. Um, and he enforces that. And so we have hell as this space where people are given over to what they ultimately chose. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, even to highlight, you know, what Nathan was saying about the king of Israel issue is like, I just think that this question of hell is ultimately... Um, the big, there's really one big question and we, you know, we've talked about behaviors and Dante talks about these behaviors, but ultimately those behaviors don't matter as much because 
what Jesus has done, he's essentially boiled it all down to one question. Instead of saying like, okay, you have to be obedient, you have to do good things, you need to deserve this. He's ultimately said, listen, I'll take care of all the stuff you've ever done. You only have one choice to make. Do you want to be with God or not? Mm-hmm. And I've had so many conversations with Nathan about this that ultimately, you know, the big question is, you know, um, you know, would you want to go to heaven if it was a place where God ruled your life? And many people in this life, they don't want God to rule their lives. And God isn't a tyrant to demand. He doesn't demand, you know, your submission. He asks for our submission. He asks for um, to be our God, to be our king. But he ultimately doesn't force us. And, and really, the option of hell is our option of autonomy. It's our option of saying, I, I don't want to be with God. And God offers us, you know, freedom. You know, I, I know we've talked about that a lot, Nathan. And, um, yeah. One of the biggest misconceptions, I think, about heaven and hell is the conversation is about heaven and hell. Um, when you look at uh, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, um, he doesn't say, I, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one gets to heaven through me. Life. Life. Yeah. Sorry. I always say life. <laughs> I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No yep. one gets to heaven through me. He says, mm-hmm. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. And so uh, in our in our modern culture, the conversation centers around well where am i going and it's like it's actually more of a question of who are you with mm. who are you going to be with mm-hmm. um and it's a i i personally think it's uh it's 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 the wrong conversation to be having um it's one of the things i encourage people to have when the subject of hell comes up with an atheist or an agnostic or someone who's struggling with the notion of hell it's like well, it's not a conversation about heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a conversation about who do you want to be with. Um, and like an analogy I've used repeatedly is one of, if someone invites you to their birthday party at their house and you hate the person, you won't go to their birthday yeah. party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if someone, or if, yeah, it's just, that's how it works. And a lot of people are like, well, why do I have to endure all the punishment? And it's like, well, the reason is, is because hell is the place without God's grace. Mm-hmm. You've said, I don't want to take part in God's grace. Earth is, earth is this kind of combination of God's grace and the devil's dominion. And there's good things and bad things in the world. And ultimately, if you say, I don't want to be with God, it's saying, I don't want to live with God's grace, with the, you know, the good things that are in this world. And so we, he's like... If you go to heaven, you can have all the grace without the evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't like the grace, then you can go to hell. Like, that's totally your choice. And so, but the conversation is ultimately about the person who gives those things. It's not about the place where those things are. If you go to that birthday party, I remember when I was in middle school, there was a guy who invited me to his birthday party and he bullied me all the time. And I was like, I'm not going to go to his birthday party. And I told my mom this. I was like, they bully me. If I go to this sleepover party, they're just going to bully me more. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, their notion of grace was, hey, let's torture Nathan. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas God's notion of grace is like, no, I'm, I'm generous, I'm kind, I want to give you good things. And so we really have to change the language of who is giving what, where. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I think when we talk about this stuff, it can, you know, when we talk about this subject and we talk about how he just gives us that choice, it, it can almost sound like he's dispassionate. Like he's like, well, you can choose good or bad, whatever you want. Um, and it's true. It's pretty radical, the level of freedom he gives us. Um, but at the same time, it isn't right to, to – I mean, I think I think in these depictions, like, do you want to go to my birthday party or not? It's like, I don't care. You know, like, the point is, like, you know, God radically cares. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why I sent Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, Jesus dying is an example, is the example mm-hmm. of how much God cares about where we go eternally. It's mm-hmm. like, I am willing to come down and die for you that you might be with me. I mean, he went through great sacrifice and trial. So his passion, his love, his conviction, his invitation, it's warm, it's welcome, it's there. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's not forced. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a really amazing uh, mystery. Yeah, I think it's important for us to remember um, that God does desire for all people to be saved, and he provides a way for that. I think Nathan was talking about Um, That one way, which I think is really challenging for our culture that wants to say there's multiple ways to God, um, there's multiple faiths that are correct, and Jesus says that's not true. He says, I'm the one way. Um, And so I think we need to keep in context, like, the Jews are telling all of us this through scripture, but they really believe in a God who is good and a God who is merciful and just and gracious. And they're trusting that God is going to make the right decisions, ultimately, that we can't decide for anyone else, uh, but God gives us over to the choices that we actually make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. And I, and I think Nathan's also talking, like, you know, we talk, you know, it's biblical, Jesus is one way, but, but, you know, as we're talking about this, one thing I think Nathan's highlighting is, you know, if we say one way, heaven, like, Jesus is also the destination in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only one destination, so if you don't like Jesus, you don't like what he's about, you mm-hmm. don't like what the Father's about, then heaven's not really for you, I guess, in a sense. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, that's what he's saying. There's one one way, one one place, one, mm-hmm. one destination. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So thinking about that, um, I mean, we talked a little bit about how uh, Dante's Inferno might give us a good picture in the sense that God does give people over to their choices. Um, what are some things we know from from Scripture about what hell actually looks like? Like, how definitive is the picture that's given to us in Scripture, descriptively? Well, you know, coming up this um, Friday, um, Johanna's going to be talking about Revelation, and she's going to be talking about when Jesus comes back, and there's this time where he um, he's going to raise everybody. Everybody's going to be raised, the dead and, like, the righteous, the unrighteous, um, those who are alive. Like, everybody's going to stand before God. And um, Scripture just unanimously talks about one moment of judgment and that there's going to be basically one judgment God gives to all humanity and all, each person. And ultimately, you know, if it was just up to our actions, we'd all be separated from God forever. But really the question is, is, is your name written his book of life? Meaning, have you chosen to declare Jesus as your Lord and, and accept his forgiveness. And if someone hasn't done that in the course of their life, um, 
then the judgment is going to be cast. And this scripture is just pretty of one mind all the way through that there's just one pronouncement of judgment and it's irreversible. It's a, it's, you know, we, we make this choice, we sow this choice in our life and then he gives us a real choice, mm-hmm. one that can't change. He, he says, this is a real choice and um, he's going to abide by the choice that we make. Yeah. So we don't get a chance to reverse it. It's, it's an internal thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Mm-hmm. I think what I would say about what scripture says about hell is actually that there's very little about it. Jesus, you know, talks about, you know, it being a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I've heard some atheists talk about like, well, like, why is there so much emphasis on this? And it's like, there's actually very little emphasis on it. It's like when you look at the whole of the gospel, it's like Jesus isn't talking about hell all the time. He's actually talking very little about it. He Mm -hmm. talks more about, um, he talks about money. He talks about fasting. He talks about prayer. He talks about how to live. He talks about a lot of things. Our culture tends to, people, I, I don't think it's just our culture, but people tend to emphasize this aspect. And God, I think Jesus is actually inviting us. He's like, don't. I'm not trying to emphasize the punishment, mm-hmm. but I have to convey the whole narrative. I have to, like, yeah. if I'm a loving God, I have to tell you what is on the other side of this. Yeah. But the focus is, is like, if you're with me, though, that's the point. It's like, I want you to be with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, you know, we we have a 40-minute-ish podcast. We'll see by the end of this how long it is. <laughs> but on hell, and, like, that's one topic. But you know what? We're not going to... F- spend every week talking about hell it's one podcast worth every other week we're going to talk about something else because there's so much more to who god is and there's things that he wants for us rather than things that he wants us to stay away from most christians that i've respected throughout history are the ones who focus on um, the god who they want rather than the hell they don't want yeah. In fact, some of the Christians that I really respect have been like, I want Jesus so bad that if Jesus was in hell, I'd go to hell. Hmm. Hmm. Brother Lawrence. Yeah. Really good. I think you're highlighting how much it's about relationship, mm-hmm. which is very different from how our culture tends to portray it. Um, and I think that's that's a key because so many people, I think, struggle with the idea of how could good people be sent to hell um, just because they don't know Jesus mm-hmm. or maybe they haven't heard Um and so I think what you're highlighting is even Jesus was preaching about relationship with him, not just preaching about being a good person, which is what I think a lot of people in our culture tend to latch on to as the message of Jesus. And it's so much more than that. Okay, so what do we say? Um, sometimes people come to us and say, like, I don't feel like hell could be real um, based on God because hell is too severe a punishment. Um, like, how could a good God allow a space like this to exist where people are in hell for eternity um, based on choices that they made in life. So how how should we respond to that? I think like with the question of like, is hell too severe? I think it kind of comes with a lot of assumptions. So, you know, um, it kind of comes with a sense of like entitlement from us, mm-hmm. like a sense of like we deserve something like you know, our life, if we were, if we're honest, you know, we didn't do anything to get our life, you know, like biologically we were conceived and we're born and we just kind of inherit existence, you know, yeah. like we just inherit whatever. Um, and the good world that we experience is just 
made and gifted. Um, so there's this assumption that because we exist, we deserve existence that we have. And I mean, honestly, who wants to lose that existence? No one does. Um, but to say that we're entitled to it, that's a different kind of statement. And, you know, God has given us this. Like, we should be thankful. Um, instead of thankful, we get entitled. We tell God we don't want to live the way he made us to live. And um, so, you know, the question of, like, is God too severe? I mean, honestly, like, life in itself shows God's love, his mercy, his care. And, you know, as we're talking about, you know, heaven and hell is really this this question of choice. I think some people would say it would be severe to make people live forever in heaven, like as slaves or with no autonomy, like if they didn't want to be there, that they'd have to be there. Um, so I think God in his, in his mercy, like allows us to continue to have a choice. Um, and then he's even like, overcome our choices so that we can even still, even if we're disqualified for being with him, can come to him. Mm -hmm. But, but ultimately, um, I actually think it's about graciousness that God has and and we don't really appreciate the giftedness of, of existence as a whole and seeing it as a gift. Mm -hmm. I think this, um, comes back to a very consistent, um, struggle that all Christians really go, uh, a consistent struggle that all Christians really go through, which is God doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and this is really in line with, it's really in addition to what Christian was already saying about entitlement, but you know, so much of my Christian walk is like, God doesn't make sense to me. Why doesn't he make sense? And, and that happens in a lot of spheres in my life, actually. You know, I don't understand why Christian does things the way he does them sometimes. I don't understand why Cassie <laughs> does things um, the way she does them sometimes. When I was dating a girl, I definitely did not understand why she was doing some <laughs> of the things she was doing. Yeah. And the thing is, is like it's it's we live in a culture that seems to want to impose our rationality on others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's really. One, it's actually very unloving, actually, to impose one's rationality on another. God is saying, look, I'm I'm perfect in every way. I swear, I, like, not ever, the things that I'm doing are, in fact, out of a love for creation. Mm-hmm. And God even, I think, sympathizes with us in saying, I don't understand, I know you don't understand and I think it's really beautiful that God is like, God says to us that I know you don't understand, but that doesn't even disqualify you. Yeah. It comes down to trust a lot of the time um, in any relationship that we're in, really. Um, you know, Christian does things that I don't fully understand, but I have to trust not necessarily well, in Christian's case, not necessarily that he's smart or intelligent or capable, <laughs> but that he's actually, his motivation is what's best for uh, myself or whatever we're, you know, moving forward to do. Mm-hmm. And really, there's a question deep underneath all of this is a question about whether or not God is just loving. Is Are these acts loving? And the thing is, is that 
in all of our life, we go through suffering at some point and we can ask God, like, are you loving in that suffering moment? And God says, I am loving. Jesus, I think, could have in the Garden of Gethsemane questioned God and been like, God, are you loving? You're sending me to die on the cross and be tortured. But ultimately, Jesus is like, no, it's your will that I want. I know that your will is love. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't always include pleasant things. I think that almost leads us to the sense that God's love, well, it does lead us to the sense that God's love is more perfect than ours, Mm -hmm. right? Like if we have compassion for people who don't know God, Mm. How much more compassion does God have for those mm-hmm. people, right? How much more does he want grace and mercy for them? Because he knows them far better than we do. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think you're right that this is something that we're never going to fully understand in life, um, but that this is something where we have to trust more in God's character than our char- like our character judgments of other people mm-hmm. um, and trust that he sees them more clearly and that he's going to have more compassion and mercy for them than we would. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately that also plays into their eternal destination and what their destiny looks like. Yeah. It reminds me of the question of the the part where Jesus says, um, if, if one of you, if one of you who are evil, like give your son um, a good gift, like you don't give them when they ask for bread, you don't give them a stone or a snake or something like you give them something good. How much more will your perfect father or a good father, your good father in heaven, give you good things when you ask him? Like, mm-hmm. like he says, good parents, they're good. They give good gifts. But God's a way better parent than any of your parents. And he's going to give you great gifts. And, you know, that's always been a comfort to me in this question, you know, especially like the question of like, you know, people a lot of times they ask, well, what about people that never heard about Jesus. Like they never had the opportunity to hear. And, you know, the Bible talks about us having an urgency to talk to those people. Like it it just very clearly says we need to go tell those people about heaven. Like we need to go tell those people about Christ. We need to tell them so that they can live and have the opportunity to say yes. Um, But ultimately, if they haven't heard, you know, I I don't totally feel qualified to answer the question of like what's going to happen to them. And I just rely on that verse that, you know, that God is more just. He sees more clearly. He he has a better sense of what's going on. And so I'm just going to trust that if I have a problem with that, even though I'm an evil person, if if I see like, oh, is that is that just? I, I expect God is going to have a way clearer mm-hmm. picture of what real justice is than I do. Um, and so if I'm concerned about it, I'm sure God is infinitely more concerned and he's going to take that into account. But but ultimately there is this urgency that God says for us to go and share the gospel so that people can receive um, God's truth and walk according to his light. I think to that question of like, you know, what happens to those people who haven't heard the gospel? I think, you know, one thing that we can be very sure of is that people's salvation is not dependent on any person except Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I I personally think, one, that God is good, because the Bible says it, um, but I also know that, like, I'm not the reason that anybody gets saved. And I don't think God is going to rest that responsibility on my shoulders. He rests it squarely on Christ's shoulders. And I don't know exactly how it plays out personally, and I don't think it means that I'm not supposed to share the gospel with people, because I think that is a 
outpouring of my desire for God's kingdom to be on earth now mm-hmm. and the kingdom of God to be in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I just believe that God is good and that he's cares for people and he's not going to rest the salvation of others fully on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think it really falls on Christ's Christ's shoulders and responsibilities mm-hmm. or Christ's shoulder and his, um, his love and his compassion and his ability to save. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I think it's important just to clarify, you know, what we're not saying is, well, if somebody hasn't heard mm-hmm. about Jesus, then they're going, they're they're forgiven, that God, right. Jesus is going to mm-hmm. be gracious and let them in. Like, I, I don't think so. I think scripture says, like, it's really important for us to share mm-hmm. the message of Jesus to give them an opportunity and that, you know, hell is like the default for these people, you know, like mm-hmm. a, dist- a life of separation from God is the default, you know. Um, however, at the same time, we don't want to pass our bounds as human beings and say with certainty what Jesus is going to judge. Ultimately, mm-hmm. Jesus is the one who judges. Jesus is the one who sees clearly. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, we're resting on his good judgment mm-hmm. and his justice and um, even his ability to reveal himself to people in amazing ways that maybe we're not aware of, you know. And so um, we just we just need to do what we've been told to do. Yeah. Go share the gospel, give him the mm-hmm. opportunity to receive. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, we just need to trust Jesus, that he's mm-hmm. a good judge. And ultimately, that's what we have to rest on. Yeah. Yeah. We need to care that people have a relationship with him. Um, and I think that that goes as a further motivation for us to share, right? Like when you think back to when you encountered Jesus and how much it's changed your life, like we should want that for our, our neighbors and not just, you know, share the gospel to keep people out of hell and going to mm-hmm. heaven, right? But for the life transformation that happens now mm-hmm. and then for the rest of eternity, mm-hmm. we should want that for our friends um, more than like, oh, I'm trying to keep you out of this bad place. Mm-hmm. The good is so much greater than the bad. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I also just think like in a real, in a sense, like, okay, so I've heard about these. Um, there was this one story. I don't, I wish I knew the author. I wish I'd read this book. I had just like heard this from a dear friend of mine, dear friend of Nathan's, a guy named David Nebel, and he he shared with us about a book he read. Well, are you friends with him too, Cassie? Yeah. Oh, Cassie's friends with him too. There we I'm, go. I'm so. pretty sure you're friends with him too. I said that already. I said oh, he was did. my We're friend. All friends yeah, with David. He's yeah. Great. So, um, but he uh, he read this book called The Peace Child um, a long time ago, and it, The Peace Child is about um, a missionary who goes to a foreign, you know, a place, but there are these warring tribes there. And it's just a culture that's very, very war oriented, and um, and the missionary starts to hang out and meet with these people, and um, and he he ends up having the opportunity to tell them about um, Jesus, and so he tells the story of Jesus, and then all of a sudden he gets to the place where Judas betrays Jesus and everyone freaks out and they, they, they go crazy and they're all exuberant and excited and they start saying, Judas is the man, Judas is the man. And they're like, and he's like, what, 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 what happened? What did I say? And uh, the guy just hadn't learned the culture enough to realize that this culture was one that the highest value was betrayal. Like the idea that you get close to somebody, like the master, they had this role called the master betrayer that you 
get close to somebody. Like the idea is like you go to another tribe and you make a friend with somebody and then you get them at this vulnerable place and then you kill them. And that's like, that's the master betrayer. And that's like one of the highest virtues in the, in the, in the clan. And so, you know, it's an amazing story. You guys should read it, The Peace Child. It doesn't end there. It gets way happier. I'm not going to tell about (laughs) how it changes. But the main thing that I think is worth noting is if we don't share the gospel with people, they end up loving evil. Yeah. And and at that mm-hmm. point, like what we wouldn't, I don't think anybody would want to see God be merciful. Like we don't, God does not love betrayal mm-hmm. and people that have allowed their hearts to, to love betrayal to that extent. That's just a lot in sness. And there's a, there's a valuing that those people have. And if they don't have the gospel, they, they aren't going to turn from those things. And so, um, so I think in a practical sense, like that just gives a clear picture of like, oh man, if if we don't share the gospel, their lostness is amplified. And there's, mm-hmm. they, we're not talking about people just innocently, you know, living on some island somewhere like, oh, I just wish God would show himself to me. I mean, we're talking about people that make choices and harden their hearts against what mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. And um, like all of us, would do mm-hmm. if we didn't have Jesus. Yeah. And so I think it's um so I just think that's an important thing to keep in mind, you know, is the heart it, it's not neutral. You know, and and that you know, and I think Jesus looks at those things, God looks at those things and he hates that sin that exists in the world and and we wouldn't respect I don't think I could respect God if he didn't punish and judge that evil. You know, and so that's ultimately also like part of, you know, you're 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 choosing something evil, you're choosing something against me, and I, he's got to judge that, he needs to judge it, and he needs to send it to a place, um, that's going to be far away from what is good and perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in Western culture in particular, we all think, oh, everyone's good, and so it's harder for us to believe in a place like hell, but. I think when we look at the broader, you know, expansive history, like we look back on Hitler and we're like, man, I wish that guy faced some consequences. Like I want that. I think in in areas where like evil is so much more clear, right? Where it's, there's a clear line between um, these people are the good guys and these guys are the bad guys. Like we really desire justice in the way that God gives it. Yeah. So as Christians, um, we believe that the Bible is true. And so we have to believe that hell is really a part of judgment ultimately. So what are some of the implications then for our faith as believers today? It's hard for us to understand this, this aspect of the narrative that God has presented us. And ultimately, it's a part of who, how God has described the world in eternity and ultimately, in some ways, this is really just a, something that we're responsible to to struggle through, even. And I think that's that's understandable. Ultimately, though, we have to rest on the fact that, like, are we going to get so fixated, I think, on hell that we forget that God wants heaven in us, rather? Mm-hmm. And God wants us in heaven. And God wants us, more importantly, God wants us with him. Than without him. Yeah. 
as we're talking about hell, is actually to not think about hell so much as much as heaven and about the Father, I think. Yeah. It reminds me of the, the sign holders. You know, you've got the mm. sign holders that hold out, like, hell is your is where you're going if you don't mm-hmm. turn, you know. And um, I think ultimately, like, it, what's disingenuous about that is that it's trying to scare people mm-hmm. out of you know, a torturous destination. But ultimately, the real question is, is not, you know, it makes the question about, do you want to choose heaven or hell? But the real question really is, do you want to follow God or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be in this relationship with God or not? And that, that other way of thinking isn't really substantially helpful Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, Maybe it, for some people, I know they become Christians because of that, because it makes them be, you know, think about it, mm-hmm. and it makes them pause to reflect, and um, gives them an opportunity to take seriously how serious this choice is. But, but ultimately, you know, it just highlights this choice of choosing, choosing God is his, his forgiveness, choosing Christ. It just is a really it's the most important choice we can make in our mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and um, and I think. It needs to be about Christ and not mm-hmm. so much about a destination um, because we can have all kinds of weird ideas what heaven's like yeah. and all kinds of weird ideas about what hell's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But ultimately, it's a, it's a choice for Christ, a choice for the Father, a choice for the Spirit, um, as opposed to um, or a choice of our own rulership and our own autonomy. Mm-hmm. I think something else I would say is that we're not, you know, when we think about hell, oftentimes in our culture, uh, in our Western society, is one that creates a friction between us and God. And I think maybe we need to think about how God views hell and us going there in this moment. And it's like, I think God really views it as like, I'm like terrified that you're going to go. I'm I'm mm-hmm. weeping over the fact that people are going to go there. Yeah, these are my kids. It's like, I'm not trying to create friction between man and me. I'm weeping over this. I'm like, you know, it reminds me of Jesus. He enters Jerusalem and he says, how I've longed to gather you under my wing. And it's like this sentiment of like, there's people that are not going to be under my wing, yeah. I think. And the thing is, is if we, are we able to let go of like the friction and adopt like a godly perspective of it, which is like, this grieves me. Mm-hmm. This grieves me. It doesn't create friction between me and God. It creates a common will, a common desire, a common love. Um, and really, I think, I think that's the, imp- I think that's the existential, the personal implication is like, you know what, I'm going to let go of the, my rationality and how I think this might be unjust and be like, God is like, no, it is just, but it grieves me all the same. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. And like, it grieved me so much that I yeah. sent Jesus yeah. to earth to get as many as I could out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's, I think that's a huge implication for us mm-hmm. is to like, let go of like maybe bitterness or bitterness or, vindictiveness or a sense of interestingly a sense of vengeance against god and our belief is is that god's sentiment in sending people to hell is vengeful Mm -hmm. and it's like well at this point in time it's more actually 
grieving him that he's going to have to send people there. Yeah. And there's a point where he has to sift the sift the the oh what is it the, the chaff from the from the wheat. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but at this stage, Jesus is like grieving over the fact that people are going to yeah. go there. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. And he's doing everything that he can to prevent it, mm-hmm. right? Like God reveals himself to people in so many ways. And I think we have to trust that that's happening mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and trust that we play a role in that too um, and have some urgency for the people around us. I, I was thinking like, as you were talking about the the mystery of God and how some ways, like in some ways we just can't understand fully how this works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you take hell out of your theology, you actually struggle more to understand God's character. Yeah. Like with hell, we can believe in a God who really does hate evil and mm. really does love good. Mm-hmm. And we can, we have a God who is compassionate, um, who desires for people to be saved and to experience a full abundant life um, separate from those things, separate from the hurt and pain of the world. Yeah. And without hell, we don't really have consequences when people choose otherwise. Yeah. Um there is no consequence. And I think actually that hurts our understanding of who God is more in the long run. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. we need to have a God who cares about good things. If he's, if he's mm-hmm. really good, if we really believe that God is good, I think we have to believe that he does hate sin and he does hate evil. And we have to have a, a big enough view of how sin affects God to believe that hell is necessary yeah. in some ways. I think um, the real question is um, is not that the friction that God brings towards us, but the, the like what this conversation brings up is um, ultimately, if we really think properly about it, we're the ones who have caused the friction, mm-hmm. and God is doing everything He can to bring peace. But ultimately, if we want to live in friction. We want to stay fractured. Hell is hell is the way that he allows us to have that freedom. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. Okay, let's end with that. Christian and Nathan, thanks for joining me today. And if you're out there listening, thanks for wrestling in scripture with us as we're dealing with this difficult topic uh, for a lot of people. Feel free to email us with comments, questions, or topic suggestions at social at OregonStateXA.com or reach out to one of us in person. We would love to talk about this with you. Have a great week. And remember, God's compassion and mercy are greater than ours, even if hell does exist. Mm